worship you in song. We ask you to bless this time as we open the word and to look at what you'd have us to see from this message today and that you'll guide and keep us in your son's name. Amen. All right, Lynn, click spacebar before you take off. All right, this one. I'm sorry. I got it. All right. As you can see, I have a map. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to try to help you guys out a little bit. Yeah, we're not here. <laughs> we are not here. <laughs> but this is where Paul is writing the letter to Colossae. He's going to talk about Laodicea and Herpopolis, uh, Herapopolis. So I just want you all to know where, where he's writing to. That's in Turkey. Um, it's called Asia back in that day, or Asia Minor. So I just wanted to put this up so when we talk about some of these places, you can somehow get an idea of where he's, where he's at and what he's talking about. All right, so we're going to read in Colossians 4. Let's pray as we open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word and to see what you have us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. I doubt highly that I'll get that far. As you all know, I probably won't. Uh, so we're going to start at verse 7. All my state shall Tychus declare unto you, who is, be, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salutes you, and Marcus, sister son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, if he come again unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who is of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphus, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea and Hierapolis, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphos the, and the church with, which is in his house, and when the epistle is read among you, cause it to be read also in the church at Laodicea. And then you, likewise, read the epistle to Laodicea. And say unto Archippus, take heed to minister which you have received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be unto you, amen. Written from Rome to the Colossians by Tychus and Onesimus. So we have this way that Paul ends many of his epistles saying, all these people say hello <laughs> in a very simple, simple statement. I'm sending this person. He's going to tell you all about me. I can't write it all in the letter, so he'll tell you all about me. And I'm looking forward to his return, telling me all that's going on in the church. So I just wanted to take a few minutes and look at some of these things that they're talking about. He says, I have sent my, all my states shall Tychus declare unto you. Now, I don't know how many of you know anything about Tychus. <laughs> Uh, he's the top, top studied person in the Bible, I know, you know, uh, I had to do some research on him. He's actually mentioned very, quite a few times uh, in uh, Acts 20, he is from Asia, <laughs> Asia Minor. So he's going back home. 
And uh, in Ephesians 6.21, he is called the beloved brother and the faithful minister, just as he is in this uh, scripture. And in 2 Timothy, he said, I sent Tychus to Ephesus. And in Titus, it says that he is going to be sent to Hepropolis. Uh, so this is a man that Paul trusts. You know, I think about this. Would you like your testimony to be that you're trusted by the members of your church to go be the messenger? And this is what he says. He is a faithful, he is a beloved brother, loved brother, and a faithful minister. Paul says, I can send him. It's kind of amazing because when we think of people Paul sends, we think of Timothy, Titus, you know, these type of guys. But he's representing Paul a lot here in, in Rome and saying, I can send him anywhere and he's going to be a faithful minister. You know, that should be our goal is to be a faithful minister. That we could go from any place and go and say, you're going to be the messenger. Paul says, I'm going to, when he gets to you guys in Colossae, He's going to tell you all that's going on in Rome. You know, and, then, and we've talked a little bit about what's going on in Rome. Well, in Rome, Paul's a prisoner. <laughs> he's being chained to guards and having to be taken, you know, and getting to minister and, he's, he's, and getting these people saved. And Tychus is going to go out. And he says, and I also have him one purpose. When he gets to you, I want you to tell him what's going on with you so he can come back with the report for me. And Paul does a lot of this. He sends his faithful servants out to tell them what's going on with him. But he also really wants to know what's going on in the church that I started. We started this church. What's going on? You know, how many of you, and you don't run hands raised, but how many of you have a church that you grew up in and you always wonder what's going on back in that church? Are they still following God? Are they still preaching the, preaching the God, God's word? Are they still you know, sending out missionaries? This is the way Paul was. He, he was a church planter, and he was always out there going, what's going on in my churches? And he had one big problem. He didn't have a telephone to be able to call up and say, hey, what's going on in the church today? <laughs> you know, he had to send letters. You know, and most, many of us in this church are old enough to remember days when you had to use letters. You know, uh, you know, remember when to make a phone call cost a lot of money. You know, I remember when I was young and we would have to call grandma to say hello to her. And it's like, okay, you've got one minute to get, say, say something and give the phone to your brother. Who had one minute to give it to my sister. Now, my parents took a little longer than one minute. I never thought that was fair when I was a kid. But uh, you know, they, got, they got a little longer than the one minute or so that we had. But I can remember it was considered a very expensive thing to call even across the United States, much less try to call around the world. And... Paul doesn't have this. He doesn't have a telegraph. He's got to send a letter. And from Rome to Asia Minor is a long time. When he sends Tychus away with his letter, looking to get the response back from Tychus, he's looking at probably taking at least a year. You know, it's a three to four month trip there. He's going to spend time there, and then it's going to take him three or four months to get back. He's looking at him being gone for a long time. Uh, I remember when my dad would go on the cruises, you know, sometimes we wouldn't hear from him months at a time because the letters didn't come that frequently. And, you know, here he's saying, I'm going to send Tychus. I want to know what's going on. He's going to tell you everything that's going on. And then by the time he got back, he had to catch up with what's going on with Paul. You know, but he says, Tychus is going to be sent with you to know your, what's going on in your, in your church and to give you comfort. 
Because all they knew about Paul is that he's arrested and he's going to be executed. Okay. Paul knew that he was going to be executed when he went to, to Jerusalem. I don't know if you remember the story. He goes to Jerusalem and everybody he meets on the way there tells him, don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. And he's going, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if God told him to go to Jerusalem or not, but he decided he was going to go to Jerusalem and that he was going to go stand before Nero. That was his goal. God gave him his goal. <laughs> now, whether it was God given, I don't know. <laughs> but he kept going, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to be bound. I'm going to, be, I'm going to go stand before the Nero. And he sends Tychus to give them. Paul's still alive. <laughs> He's still ministering. You know, the, the soldiers are getting saved. The household workers are getting saved. You know, people in Rome are getting saved. Lots going on. And lots going on. He gave a good report. Yeah. And I think about this. You know, I keep sharing with us. We need to share our testimonies with one another. What is God doing in our lives? And it's very important for us because it comforts hearts. It encourages people. And we've shared with you, you know, reading the Bible and seeing what God did, you know, 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. It's really wonderful. It builds our faith. It tells us that God has done great things. In Judges, we were talking about Gideon. Gideon meets the angel, and the angel says, God's going to deliver. And you go, well, where have you been, God? You know, our fathers told us all about this God who, you know, split the Red Sea and defeated all these enemies, but where have you been lately? Have you ever felt that way sometimes when you read the Bible and you read all the things that God's done? Well, God, where have you been? <laughs> what are you doing in my life today. You did lots of things 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. You know, and we may not keep it in our mind, but you know, that thought passes through our head sometimes, especially when everything looks like it's going wrong. You know, but here, Tychus is being told, go give the message. I am doing good, and God is working here in Rome. We need that uh, testimony every once in a while. We need to have somebody come in and say, you know what God did for me yesterday? You know, I was having this problem, and this, this person pulled up and changed my tire. It was flawed, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And this person just pulled up, happened to have the right tire in the back of their car, put it, put it on for me, and got me back on my trip. Well, pretty good chance you saw an angel at that point, but who knows what happens. You know, we need to be able to share with one another. You know, I lost something very important, and I prayed, and the next thing I knew, I found it. You know, that's a good prayer. You know, and it's a good testimony to tell people. Let people know what God is doing in your life because it encourages them. God isn't just working 2,000, 4,000 years ago. He's working today. And we need to know that he's working today. And that's why I tell you, one of my songs I love is Count Your Blessings because when you start focusing on what God is doing in your life, things look a lot brighter. And you're going, oh, yeah, God is doing things in my life. And I've also shared, you know, you might want to write it down in a book so that when you're really feeling miserable and you can't even remember the good things he's done for you, go back to your book and say, oh, yeah, on this day he did this. On this day he did this. On this day he did this. Remind yourself. Tychus was sent so that they would have comfort because they were concerned about Paul. The one who started our church is in Rome facing death. And we haven't heard from him. It looks like he's not going to get out. And Tychus was going out there and saying, yep, he's still waiting to see, he's still waiting to see the uh, Caesar, still waiting, and give them comfort. 
and says, oh, by the way, Paul wants to know what's going on here. How many people have you reached? What, what, what are you, what are, how are you ministering today? Tell us about what God is doing in your life. And so that was what he was sent for. And then he says in verse 9, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Now Onesimus may be somebody you all know about. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Uh, he's mentioned here, and there's a whole book about him. <laughs> okay, In the book of Philemon, Paul writes the letter to Philemon and says, Hey, Onesimus is here in Rome. He's gotten saved. Uh, I really would like it and appreciate it if you let him be, stay here with me. And there's a whole lot more to the letter. If you want to know more about Onesimus and, and that relationship, read the really long book of Philemon. It's only, it's only 25 verses <laughs> for the whole book. Uh, but it's a book about uh, Onesimus. And Paul said, his name was useless, now he is useful to me. You know, he was useless to you because he's a runaway, he didn't want to be there, but he is very useful to me, and please let him stay here. And we see here at this point that he is with Paul. And he says, I'm, I'm going to send Onesimus and Tychus to you. Tychus is from Colossa. Uh, at least that's where he ran away from. And he says, they're going to make known to you all that's going on here in Rome. You know, they didn't, they didn't have the 6 o'clock news and the 11 o'clock news to watch, you know, so they did not know what was going on, and, and they really didn't have the 24-hour news channels that we have. You know, I don't know how many people can watch 24-hour news. It do, doesn't change very much hour after hour. It doesn't even change much from 12 hours. But, you know, and here he's saying, I want you to have the news. I want you to have the news of who I am. Then he goes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salutes you, and Marcus, the sister son to Barnabas, touching him who you receive commandments, if he comes, receive him. Aristarchus is called the, the, the fellow uh, prisoner, and we know that he was arrested in uh, Acts chapter 19. He gets arrested with Paul in Ephesus when they had the big riot about the uh, makers of the idols for Diane got everybody upset and they were arrested. He was in that list of people who got arrested. And then he went with Paul to uh, out and then they ended up with him as a prisoner. So these people are trying to get us an idea. When we read these names, I mean, I think sometimes when we get to the end of Paul's letters and we have all these names given us, we treat them kind of like we do the genealogies. So-and-so begat. <laughs> Slide down the page. Oh, here's the end of the begats. Now I can read again. <laughs> and you all know I love the genealogies. There's so much information in the genealogies. You know, so, but the key is, do we know some of these people? You know, when we read these things, it's hard if you don't care. You know, who was this person? Okay, so a whole bunch of people said hello. You know, who cares? If you were writing a letter to your family and you said, you know, my, my daughter says hello, my son says hello, and you give a whole list of names and you're writing to your family, they're going to go, oh, so nice to have, you know, greetings from my family. You send it to your bank. Uh, Lynn says hello. William says hello. Uh, and they're going to go, and, and so what? <laughs> yeah. Why do I care? And sometimes we do that with these letters at the end of Paul's, Paul's you know, writing. He's sending the greetings from people that these people know. They're aware of who these people are. 
when he tells them Tychus is coming to visit you, Onesimus is coming to visit you, they're going, yeah, these were the guys that helped start the church. When he talks about Aristarchus, he goes, yeah, yeah, he was with Paul. He's been arrested with Paul. You know, it's an amazing thing. Paul did not travel alone. Okay, he did not travel alone to all these different places. He had an entire entourage that helped him get these churches started. When he showed up, there were, you know, four, five, six, seven dozen people with him. And so when he started a church, his first day had a church half the size of ours. <laughs> now, that's if nobody else showed up. <laughs> you know, he had people with him. It wasn't like he was just saying, okay, I'm going to set up in this tent and we're going to see if anybody shows up today. Uh, he had people that showed up. And he had these people. And when he's given Colossa these people's names, they're going, oh, yeah, we know these people. Then he says, he talks about Marcus. And Marcus, you better, we know him better as Mark. He's the nephew of Barnabas. He's the one that went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary trip. He's also the one that left them in the middle of that trip. For a long time, Paul did not like Mark. He was angry at Mark. Uh, when they went out on the second trip and Barnabas says, we need to take Mark with us. Paul said, absolutely no way am I taking that loser with us. He, he didn't put it quite in those terms, so that's exactly what he was saying. You know, he abandoned us once. I'm not taking him again to have him abandon us again. And remember that that argument was so divisive between them that Paul took Silas, Barnabas took Mark, and all of a sudden we had two missionary teams running, running around out there. So when God used it for good things, and it was many years before Paul said, okay, I forgive Mark. I forgive Mark. You know, Paul, for all that he did and all the good that he was, had some problems. <laughs> he was still a Pharisee in his heart at that, at that early age. He had learned grace. He had learned love. He was still working on forgiveness. <laughs> and we talk a lot about forgiveness here because forgiveness is probably one of the hardest things for us as Christians to do, is to learn to forgive. It doesn't come natural to us as humans. If somebody does wrong to us, we want them to pay, don't we? You know, God, go get them. Or sometimes we don't even say, God, go get them. We're going, I'm going to get them. <laughs> I'm going to get them. They are going to pay. You'd be better off doing David saying, God, go get them. But you'd be better off even yet, I forgive them. I forgive them. Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven. How can we be any less loving toward those around us but to say, I forgive you? And the most important thing on that is, and I've said this many times, don't wait for somebody to ask you to forgive them. Just forgive them. You don't even have to go up and tell them that you have forgiven them. Just forgive them in your heart and your mind. And literally forgive them. Don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. You know, don't uh, go, well, I forgive you. Don't ever do it again. Okay. You know, remember, Peter goes to Jesus and says, how many times should I you know, forgive my brother? Seven times? You know, he thought he was being really good because the, the rabbis taught you only had to forgive him three times. And after that, look out. You know, and so Peter's going along, you know, I'll, I'll be really good. I'll, I'll, use, I'll use the number of completion. I'll use seven times. That, that'll really sound good. I'll forgive people seven times. And Jesus told him, no, 70 times 7, which was an idiom for keep forgiving them. 
You know, Jesus was not telling them you forgive them 490 times and then look out. <laughs> he was telling them just keep forgiving them. You know, forgiveness is so important for us. And Paul finally learns forgiveness, and that's why he puts this little note that if, if, if Mark shows up in your place, you know what to do with him. Accept him as a brother. He's been, a, he's been faithful. Since that day when he left us, he's been faithful. <laughs> You know, and you got to think, that would be a hard thing to do. You're in the middle of a trip, and all of a sudden, the person who you're help, depending on disappears. You know, how many people are unforgiving of people who do that? How many people have been unforgiving of a spouse who, who dies, and yet they take it personal that they died? I've heard many people that do that. They're angry at their spouse for dying and leaving them behind. And all they can do is think about how angry they are at that person, and that person had nothing to do with what happened. It just happened. But you know, we have this capacity to be very unforgiving. And we need to learn to forgive. And it took Paul many years to get to the place where he would forgive Mark. And then in one, in one of the letters he says, oh, by the way, send Mark to me. <laughs> send Mark to me. He, get, he really does get to the place where he has forgiven Mark. And says, okay, you know, I was really angry with him. I was so angry with him. I would not let him come on the second trip. But, you know, hey, when you see Mark, send him to me. Send him to me because he has become a comfort to me. What a change in his heart. And that's what forgiveness can do to us. When you truly forgive somebody, that person that all, when you see walking down the street a half a block away and you turn around and go the other direction, when you totally forgive them, you just can't wait to get go over there and greet them and, and say hello and thank you and, and give them a hug or whatever because you have forgiven. It's not a bitterness in your heart. Now, this is important for us to forgive because if they don't forgive you, it doesn't matter. You know, I've had people tell me, well, I just will not forgive them until, they forgive, until they're willing to forgive. Why would you let anybody have that much control of your life? It doesn't make any sense to give somebody control over how you feel and how you behave. Don't let them have that kind of control. Forgive them. Because if you're thinking about them and all of a sudden you become miserable because you're thinking about them, I don't want anybody to have that much control to make me feel miserable. We need to learn to forgive and let it go. That doesn't necessarily mean forget it and let it happen, you know, let the same thing happen over and over again, but don't hold it against them. Don't be trying to make them pay. And we want to be able to look at these things and know this is what is happening. He says, he talks about Epaphus, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, who salutes you, always laboring fervently with you, for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Epaphus prayed for them. And Paul's saying, his prayer is that you're going to walk complete. That you are going to be complete in Christ, doing his will. Do you have anybody you pray for that, like that? Hopefully your kids. <laughs> that they will walk in the right way, do the right things. Not in a judgmental way, but in a way that says, God, do what it takes to bring them to you. Do what it takes to to lift them up and to train them to be like you, to be what you want. And you know, the sad thing for us, most times when we pray for somebody, we have an objective in mind when we pray. You know, we want this to happen, God. 
How many of you ever prayed to God to answer a prayer for you and you started telling God exactly how he was going to do it? God, I, I need a brand new car and I think that you're going to just give it to me. I'm going to walk into this door and somebody's going to walk up to me and say, here's a brand new car for you. Okay, I've never seen him do it. Well, I can't say never, but I don't think that's his normal way of giving you, you know, what, he, what he's going to give you. Yeah. God, I, I need... I need some money, and uh, I really just want you to drop it in an envelope somewhere and, and give me the money. Well, that can happen, but it's not usually the way God does it. What we do is, oh, God, I have a need, and leave it in his hands on how he's going to do it. I've done it many times. I've done it many times praying to God and telling him exactly how I think he should do it. Uh, somehow God has never listened to me. I've just, he hasn't given me the job of being his counselor yet. But how many times do we try to be God's counselor? God, I want you to do this in somebody's life, and I think this is how you need to do it. We need to be so careful of that. Because you know what? God's plan is going to be better than anything you can think of anyway. And he will do what it takes to reach that person. We need to be very careful about these things because it's so easy for us to say, God, I am so smart. I know, I know exactly how to fix it. That's why I'm in the problem in the first place because I, I know exactly how to fix this problem, but uh, you know, I'm, I know how to fix the problem I caused. <laughs> and God's saying, uh-huh, sure. You wouldn't be in the problem if you knew how to fix it. Uh, but yet, how many times do we do that? You know, every one of us have done that at some point in our life and probably quite often in our life. God, I know how to fix this problem. I know how you should fix this problem because, God, you're stronger than I am. You can fix it this way. And God's saying, no, there's consequences. Uh, and then in 13, he says, I bear him record, Papas, how great a zeal he has for you and for them that are in Laodicea and Heropolis. He says he loves you guys. He loves you. He wants your, the best for you. And I hope that is your prayer for people that you know, that you want the best for them. Your zeal is to just pray for them, to love them. You know, and you know, one of the things we need to learn to do when we, when we talk to, especially family members who are walking away from God, how many times when we have, we're so broken for our children that are not walking with God that we try to press them to walk with God? <laughs> you know, we go, you know, we get on the phone and go, well, have you been to church lately? Click. <laughs> You know, uh, what are you doing for God later, click? <laughs> you know, how many times do we just need to love them? Let them know that they are still our child, that we love them, we care about them. You know, how many of you became a Christian because somebody just put a whole bunch of rules and, and, and hard time on you? Every time you saw them, when are you going to come to church? When are you going to turn to Jesus? You know, what do you do to those people? <laughs> you avoid them. You know, how do we come to Christ? We come through his love. Somebody will tell us, Jesus loves you. How much did he love you? He died on the cross for your sins so that you could go to heaven. That's the important message that we have. Without Christ, we're lost and headed for hell. He died for our sins so that we could go to heaven. And what we need to be sharing with people is God loves you even though we don't deserve it because, you know, everyone in this room and everybody listening on the Internet, none of us deserves God's love. We're all sinners. Even somebody who's been walking 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years with God does not deserve God's love because we're still sinners. It's his grace that gives us his, his love.
It's his grace that gives us anything. It's his grace that allowed Jesus to go to the cross to die for our sins. And then he says, here's my gift. Just take my gift. Take the gift and accept it. And here he's saying, this man is going to, is just loves you. Then he talks about Luke, the beloved physician, and Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Spent most of his time with Paul after he got saved. And it says, Demas salutes you. Now, Demas is mentioned in one other place, and he says, Demas, Demas has forsaken me. Pray for him. <laughs> so at this point in, in the imprisonment, he's with Demas. Now, whether Demas has got a message, though, if you stay with Paul, you're going to die, and he decided that he couldn't do it. We don't know the reasons why Demas left, but he forsook him for the cares of this world, is what Paul said. And, you know, and that just brings me to the fact that we need, as Christians, to finish the race well. Over the years, I've seen so many people that were strong Christians for years and years and years. And then as they get older or they get ready to you know, face death, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, it's been too hard. Been too hard to serve God. You know, Paul said, I have run the race. I have finished well. Our goal as Christians is to finish well, or should be. God, I am going to finish the race. I'm going to do what you have told me to do. Now, granted, as you get older, it's harder to serve God in the same ways, and that's understandable. When you get up and your, mo and your bones are telling you, I want to stay in bed, <laughs> as they creak and crack, and you have no energy, you, know, you may not be able to go teach Sunday school and chase the kids around the Sunday school all day long. You may not be able to go knock on the doors, but you then go, God, what is it you want me to do now. How can I serve you today? I know a pastor who went blind. He got an audio Bible series and learned to read Braille so he could still pastor. You know, and it's what can I do for you today in this place that I'm at? Don't ever look back in your life and say, I can't do what I did 20 years ago, so I'm not going to serve you, God. You know, I just can't do it. Well, then find out what God's got in your place today. Some people have gone on mission trips and they've hammered nails and walked around on these, you know, middle of nowhere. And when you're 70, 80, 90, you're probably not going to go on a mission trip, <laughs> walk around and hammer nails on, on, in some foreign land. But you can pray. You might even give the money to somebody else to go do it for you. There's all kinds of things that God can say, do these. But you need to talk to God and say, what is my task for you, God, as I'm getting older? And there is a place where we transition over and say, this is for somebody younger. But when you do that, do not retire from God's service. <laughs> Find out what it is he's asking you to do. When you can do less and less, you give it over to other people, but never stop serving God. As long as you have a voice, you can talk to people about God. As long as you have any strength at all, you can pray. <laughs> Maybe a transition to a prayer warrior, somebody who's just hospitable. You know what? You might just take your expertise and, and pour it into somebody younger. One of the greatest things we need in our day and age is for people of older uh, morality and everything to teach our younger people. How many of you have ever complained, well, so-and-so just doesn't know how to raise their kids? You know, well, maybe we should then go talk to that person 
and say, would you like me to help you learn to be a parent? Would you like me to help you learn to be a better husband? Would you like me to help you learn to be a better mother? Whatever it might be. We have a generation that has had no parents. We've had a generation that haven't had very strong husband and wife relationships. Those of us that are in 50, 60, 70 years old who know what it means to be a good parent can help them. Even if you've been a bad parent, you know what not to do. <laughs> that might help them. You know, when you go to them and go, you know, I tried it. It did not work. <laughs> Let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible says to do and apply those. But just having somebody that cares for them can be a big advantage. Being the, being the grandma or grandpa to some of these kids and, and bringing in God's word to their life, helping them. You know, oftentimes we sit there and we complain, well, this isn't going right, this isn't going right. What is God asking you to do about those situations? When you meet somebody who's fourth or fifth generation without a mother or father and they're trying to be a mother and father, you know, they're trying to do the best they can. They don't know what it means to be a mother or father because they've never seen it. Never. When I was raising my kids, one of my prayers for them was, God, help them find somebody who has some idea of what it means to be a mother. Because there's so few of them out there anymore. When my daughter went to school in preschool, she was the only one in the entire class that had a father at home. That means an entire classroom of kids, I think it was 30 kids in the class, they had no idea what a father was. was. How were they ever going to operate now that they're old enough to be married and have a family? We need to take it serious. What can we do to help these people? What can I do to help somebody who needs to learn how to be a husband or a father? Who am I going to disciple in, in actual day-to-day -day living? It's very important for us to look at these things. And then they just take these last verse here. It says, when you get this epistle, read the epistle and give it over to Laodicea. Now, give you a hint. We don't have an epistle to Laodicea that survived. <laughs> All right. And they said, you give your epistle to Laodicea and you, and you take their epistle and read it. What it had, we have no idea. It had some instructions, like the rest of his letters. But you know, when we hear about all these books that may not be in the Bible, that should be in the Bible, take it with a grain of salt, because they were, they were letters. They probably were good letters. I'm sure the advice to Laodicea in church had some really good stuff in it. Paul wrote it. Okay. But it just wasn't scripture. And it didn't make it into the scripture. Um, and then he gives um, ad advice to Archippus. says, Tell Archippus, take heed to ministry which you have received from the Lord, that you fulfill it. What is he trying to do in this one? Maybe Archippus was having a hard time in his church. Maybe his doctrine was getting a little bit off, but he's saying, remind him. Pay attention to what you've learned. It is so easy to get off track when you're a teacher. If you don't pay enough attention to God, it's very easy, which is why I tell you all, be good Bereans. Go in and study whatever I say. Go in and check it out. It's important. It's as easy for me to get off track as anybody else. I study a lot. I try not to go that way. But it can happen. And Paul's message to Archippus was, stay the course. Remember what you have been taught. And then it says, 
I, Paul, salute you. This letter was written by Tychus and Onesimus. They were his scribes. He, he spoke it out. They wrote it out. Which is one of the reasons all Paul's letters seem so different, because there's a different secretary <laughs> putting it together. Uh, and if any of you have known anything about secretaries, the, the people, the, the head speaks the message. They take it in shorthand, and they put it in the official, official format with all the, the positioning of the commas and all of that. So every one of these are a little different because different people write it and put it together, and then he sends it to them. So I just want to really encourage us, how are we looking to God? What is it he's asking you to do? Each one of us have service to God for his children. And that service is going to be different from each person. It's going to be different for each person depending on how old you are and how long you've been walking with God. You know, I remember in my younger days, everything I did was with kids. Literally, everything. And recently, God's been putting me more in the realm of adults. What will it be 20 years from now? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what he's going to do. We'll see. But you know, we need to be willing to look at God and say, God, what is it you want me to do today? What are you equipping me today? What are you calling me to do today? And if he changes your call, don't be discouraged. You know how many people I've said, you know, met that gets discouraged because their call has changed? I just can't. I worked with kids all my life, and now I can't get a kid to listen if my life depended on it. Well, then find out what God's asking you to do today. All right? Maybe, it's, maybe you're done being the Sunday, kid's Sunday school teacher. You know, I, can, I used to be able to witness to everybody. Now I have a real hard time getting people to listen. Well, let's find out what God's asking you to do today. Find out what it is that God's asking you to do and live in that call. And that may change over the years. And it may not. You look at somebody like Billy Graham, who was an evangelist from the you know, day that he graduated from college, you know, seminary, all the way till the day he died, he was an evangelist. It never changed. Other people have their call change a little bit over the time. Be ready to listen to God and do what it is he's asked you to do. And we're going to close in prayer here and sing a couple songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come. Lord, we thank you for the names of these people that were faithful servants that Paul said were faithful and obedient. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this message online or even in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will recognize that they're a sinner deserving of punishment but that you came and died for their sins and rose from the dead in victory, and they will accept that gift and become a Christian by just admitting their, their sin and admitting their guilt and repenting of that and turning to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.